Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on this week's show is Darby Robinson. Darby, Rays sweep the Yankees in the Bronx. Man, did that feel good. Tropicana North is is feeling good again. It's uh, no longer Fenway Park. It's now Yankee Stadium. It's migrated to the Bronx. Um, Yeah, that was... this is the thing with baseball, right? So every time you can be like, oh, the Rays are a disaster. This team just doesn't have it. This team is done. Uh, they lost to the, they got swept by the Red Sox. They look miserable. And then they're going to get creamed by the Yankees. And then they like absolutely uh, put on a show. Then you go to the Rangers and then the Rangers really take it to them. And they, the Rays have a lot of opportunities in that series. Like that, I think the, that series was a more frustrating because it was close, but then you're starting to feel the same doubt. And then you go to New York and you know, you have Garrett Cole on the docket for, for Sunday. And well, what did the Rays do is they really took it to them kind of from the start to the finish. The Cole game was going to be the, the, that was the closest one. Uh, but even in that the Rays were the better team, the Rays were the better team and have been the better team in all the games they faced against the Yankees this year. The Yankees have one win. It was in it was in extras, but the Rays have been the better team than the Yankees, bar none. The biggest difference is well, the Yankees just aren't the Yankees just aren't hitting right now. The biggest difference that's noticeable on the field is the defense. The Yankees have a bad defensive team. And I think when I kind of went through like my my baseball renaissance and I started to dive deep into the numbers and statistics, I never really valued defense. And really wasn't until like, like last year when I really started to buy into some of the more defensive metrics and, and value building a team that that's that's got really great defensive players. Think back to like the Rays teams like 2016, 2017, where you've got Brad Miller, Logan Morrison, Corey Dickerson. These like guys that could put together some pretty solid offensive seasons. And if you just look at the back of their baseball card, you're like, the Rays could be a really good team. They still had Longoria at that point. But you had Brad Miller playing shortstop. You had Corey Dickerson in left field every day. The Yankees are kind of going through something similar right now. You've got Clint Frazier, who's like your, an everyday outfielder for you. You had Jay Bruce at first base. He up and quit. I mean, he up and retired from the game. Things were not going well for him. You've got to move DJ LeMahieu over to first base. John Carlos Stanton, you do not trust him to be in the field. He is your everyday DH. This is a team with like a lot of holes defensively. And in trying to make up what was a seven-game gap between them and the Rays last year in a 60-game season, they're just, they didn't make the moves that, and I don't want to speak too soon. Like there's a lot of baseball left to be played this year, but right now, it's clear that the Rays are still much better than the Yankees. The Red Sox could be in the mix again this year, but right now, if it's between the Rays and the Yankees, like the Rays are clearly ahead. Well, and this is where, again, this is April. So I think when the doomsayers for the Rays were like, this team is done, obviously that was premature. And with the Yankees right now, it's very fun to relish in the fact that this is their worst start in many years, uh, many decades. Um, they're last place in the AL East. They're last in the entire American league right now. Uh, and they, and they've had a pretty deserved, uh, like their, their records five and 10 and it's deserved every, every inch of that. The Rays have 
beaten them five out of those 10 losses. They've handed half of them specifically from the Rays. The Yankees are going to be fine. They are going to be a really good team. They, and they're going to be in that playoff race. Definitely. Right. I, this is, they're not done. This is, this is the, the horror monster that you think it's, it's the first 20 minutes of the film. Freddy Krueger is coming back, but, but this is a big point though. They did very little in the off season especially by Yankee standards. There was a lot of talk about how the Rays downgraded from, from a World Series team, right? There's, you know, talk, you know, like, is this a transition year? Are they, are they taking a step back? And they did make some moves that, that on paper definitely make them that at least worse. Like it looks worse right now. for sure. But the, one of the things that I kept looking at and I, I just kept thinking is that, okay, the White Sox made moves, but they went from a fringe playoff team to a, solid playoff contender but they still weren't great they still have a very big problem with depth that will be tested with like Lance Lynn out the Yankees are in the same boat they were a team that were that finished seven games behind the Rays and what did they do they switched pitchers that were pretty good for other pitchers that could be pretty good, but with similar question marks, right? Tanaka had injury history. Paxton obviously had injury history and they switched that for Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyon who have similar to worse injury histories. I mean, Paxton unfortunately is going for the Tommy John. So maybe that's an upgrade, but Corey Kluber has looked absolutely dreadful out there. He does not look like he, he's already not a, a fast tosser, but his, his velocity is down his location has been really bad. His command has been really bad. Kluber will get, he's a slow starter, so he'll probably get a little bit better, but there's real question about what is Corey Kluber besides a name at this point. Is he a fourth or fifth starter? Is he more of a, almost like a Rich Hill type where you're like, you know, he's fine, but he's back into the rotation guy. He's not a guy that can anchor. He's not the Cy Young Corey Kluber. Jamison Tyon coming back from Tommy John surgery. See how long that lasts up. Uh, Eno Saris on Rates and Barrels sort of mentioned the Yankees rotation as a number one with Garrett Cole, a number two or three with Jamison Tyon, and a bunch of fives. And that's what it is. Corey Kluber is a fifth starter now. Uh, Domingo Herman is a not in the majors anymore fifth starter who got tagged by everybody in the two starts that he made. Uh, you have some some interesting younger guys. I, I like Jordan Montgomery a lot, and he's pitched he's probably pitched the best of everybody not named Garrett Cole on the Yankees. Um, and then you got some young pitchers uh, like Davey Garcia, who we'll see at some point, and Luis Severino, who's very good, but also coming back from Tommy John, and we'll see at some point. There's a lot of question marks on this Yankees team, and they were not the division winners last year. They did not beat the Yankee or they did not beat the Rays in the postseason last year. And it is absolutely fair to question, did they improve from last year? Is this even a better team than they were last year? And they weren't good enough last year. Yeah, they, they I don't think, I think a lot of people remember them beating the Indians and, and, and knocking off, you know, Shane Bieber in the postseason and forcing a game five with the Rays. There was like a time where the Yankees were on the fringe of not making an expanded postseason last year. Like it was not great for them last year. And you look around the division, I think a lot of that's like some projections of the Rays as low as fourth place in the American League East. And some of the playoff odds by sight, and I'll bring them up in just a second, um, still have the Rays like the fourth lowest uh, odds 
to make the postseason out of uh, the AL East. Like, look at the Blue Jays. Yes, they added two great position players. Well, Marcus Simeon, really good position player, can be great. George Springer, great position player. He's hurt right now, though. Their biggest hole was their pitching. They re-upped with Robbie Ray. Like, that was their big offseason move. The Rays were, and we can talk about how different last season was and how weird and in terms of the Rays winning two out of every three games, a little bit fluky, but the Rays were much better than these teams last year. And I know they're eight and eight. They've got a whole lot to do, especially they've got to beat teams that they're supposed to beat like Kansas city starting this week. Um, But I like what I've seen out of the Rays this past week. And if they can stay healthy, because we've already seen some injuries in the bullpen, if the starting staff can stay healthy, if you can get Chris Archer back, if Rich Hill can put together a few good consistent outings, like, they're still my pick in the American League East. Uh, and they're still baseball references pick in the American League East, not only in the division, but also in the American League. The Rays on baseball reference have the second highest chance of winning the World Series in 2021. The Dodgers earn first with a 34.9% chance of winning the World Series, which is an absolutely insane number. Uh, just think, like really like, over a greater than a one in three chance to win in the world series. And it's April 18th. The rays are second though, with a 10.1% chance of winning the world series. Baseball reference gives them a 77.4% chance of making the postseason, a greater than 50% chance of winning the division and a greater than one in five chance of winning the American league pennant. Look over at fan graphs. The rays have a, just a 21.6% chance of making the postseason, And I'm not bringing up these numbers to criticize one site or the other because I, I honestly am not smart enough to understand how projections work. Um, but I think it does show that it's still very early in the season. And without the expanded postseason, I think it's still going to be a fight for the Rays to get back to October. But, I mean, taking those games against the Yankees, who I do think will be better as the season goes on, they're not going to be a, a last-place team in the AL East this year. They're better than Toronto. They're, they're, I think they're still better than Boston. And, and I think they're better than Baltimore. Um, but these games matter just as much now as they do in September. So to take five out of six this early on in the season is going to mean a lot for the Rays once maybe they figure everything out in September or when the Yankees figure something out and they sweep the Rays. We can look back and say, all right, we got to sweep back in April. It means a lot more. Um, but Darby, Darby, 10% to win the World Series. You got to like those odds right now. I think that's that's an interesting... The, the projections are always going to be very interesting because it's the Rays are still one of the hardest teams to put in algorithm, algorithmically because <laughs> they do so many... It, it's hard to just slot in. Like with the Dodgers, it's pretty easy. You look at that lineup and it's like, yeah, these guys are amazing. Even at their like maybe 60th percentile outcomes, they're amazing top to bottom so it's really easy to say like oh yeah you have these guys this rotation this bullpen that's a good odds the rays their first base talent or their second base talent or their shortstop talent on the surface is one thing but then the way they utilize people in and out gives them that extra boost so it is really hard and not so not to criticize you know coda or fan graphs or baseball reference However, we will obviously love to elevate the ones that do seem to, uh, you know, boost up the race a little bit. I mean, B-Ref now is our, you know, we're, now, we're just going <laughs> to switch everything. All, now when we talk more, it's going to be all B-Ref. It's all, we've, we've gone over. We're an OPS plus podcast now. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I'm sorry, we loved you, WRC Plus, but <laughs> you gotta go. Uh, no, like th this is, I think one of those interesting things to like look at, but it, it again, it's it, projections are entirely something that is in the realm of trying to predict things and the likelihood of those events. And as we've seen in every kind of field where projections are active, especially coming off the presidential election year, the, the 99 percentile things can occur often. They will occur often, but that doesn't mean it's a guarantee of a prediction of what will happen. So 34% is really high for the Dodgers to win the World Series, but at the same time, have you seen the Dodgers? Oh, they're they, going to win that division by 15 games. <laughs> like but, the, these games against the Padres have been so exciting, but it's like the Padres, they load it up. They're just, they're just not in the Dodgers range. Like this is an amazing, it's, these have been great games and I want to see them play every day for eight months, but the Dodgers are incredible. They like, they don't have Cody Bellinger. They are down in MVP. And they're still one of the most formidable lineups. They were able to give you Darvish, a Cy Young winner, fits. They were able to, to give Blake Snell fits. He didn't get out of the fifth inning today. Or he got out of the fifth inning, only did, but was then got into the bullpen for the rest. You have Mookie Betts out there, not even doing with the bat, but laying out with the glove to save games. It's, they're very good. So 34%, that's just, yeah, I, when it comes down to it, they have the least weaknesses and the most depth in the most likely scenario, but there's not a guarantee that that happens. And we've all seen with the Dodgers in particular, how the postseason can be really fickle and cruel <laughs> to even the best of teams. So getting into the tournament, getting into the postseason, getting into October, that's what matters because it really can, you can have, you can have a, you can ride a hot starter. You can get an offense that suddenly gets really hot. The Rays were a pretty decent offense last year until they absolutely weren't in the postseason and they got super, super cold really, really quick. And that can happen. I mean, two, two bad weeks happens in baseball all the time. It'll happen to the Dodgers. The Dodgers are going to probably lose like seven out of 10 at some point this season. If you do that in October, you're out. You do that in May it's, I don't know, maybe the beat writers have something to, to like gin up, but they, there's really, it doesn't matter really, especially, you know, when you have a, a d commanding division lead, like the Dodgers will almost certainly. Let's talk about Tyler Glass now, who through four starts leads all of pitch, all pitchers in major league baseball in wins above replacement. And that, that is fan graphs war. So I'm, I'm going back to use fan graphs. <laughs> We're still back. We're still <laughs> We can't quit you, Fangraphs. We can't quit you. Not yet. Not if that if that uh, postseason percentage drops even lower, maybe we'll we'll keep checking in. Uh, but also with Tyler Glasnow, because it doesn't shock me that he leads pitchers and wins above replacement. He's tied for second in innings pitched, and everything that I thought about what the Rays would do with, with Tyler Glasnow this year, I thought he was going to be a five inning guy. I thought the Rays were going to play it safe. One because of the 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 innings jump. Uh, but two, because of the type of pitcher that Tyler Glass now had been in the past, similar of a similar ilk to Blake Snell, when they're not completely on their A game, they're going to get to 100 pitches by the sixth inning. We haven't seen that from Tyler Glass now this year, really, until this last start, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But Darby, how, how impressed have you been with 
not only the the performance that Tyler Glasnow has put out there, but the innings load that he's been able to carry early on uh, in the season. I'm very impressed. I'm like, I'm, I, this is, so Tyler Glasnow has always been one of the most exciting pitchers to watch. Uh, and you can kind of dream on that stuff, right? You can dream on that, that giant frame of his, there's really long arms, the extension he gets. And that was true when he was a pros, uh, prospect with the Pirates. And it was true when he was having struggles with the Pirates. And then it was true when he got traded to the Rays. And when he started to flash all of that potential again, in actuality, it was super exciting. And it wasn't always perfect. There was the, the pitch tipping, uh, like kind of incident uh, in, in Houston. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is he was always super dynamic pitcher to watch. The stuff was amazing. It was all a matter of, could he ever put it together? Could he ever just harness this? Because by stuff, by just pure ability, that is a top five pitcher in all of baseball. But if you don't have the command and if you don't do it consistently, that doesn't really matter. There's been plenty of guys that have electric arms that are just a guy that can go, they can have one dominant start and then five really bad ones and then another dominant start. But this year, like we have seen a steady progression each year that Tyler Glasnow has been with the Rays. Every single step of the way, he is just getting better and better. Last year, he was suddenly a legit starter that could work through some of those almost blow up moments where, he, I mean, he's a very emotional guy. He pitches with emotion. We've seen that in the dugout. He Him, gets mad at Martin Shkreli before he gets on the mound. He gets <laughs> mad. Yes. Picks a great target, a very, <laughs> very hateable person and fuels that into straight fastball dominance. Uh, he's an emotional guy. Like he, he, he wears that emotion on his sleeve and that's really cool to see because he is able to put that into his game really well. We've seen him go from a guy that maybe could have, could get some face and problems and, you know, kind of maybe implode a little bit and then have to get pulled to a guy that could maybe work through that a little bit and still be a really dominant five, six inning guy. And now this is like that next level. I mean, in the postseason, we did see him come back on short rest and give one of the most gutsy performances against the Yankees in a do or die game and was brilliant on two days rest. That's incredible performance. That was one of a career defining moments this year though. It's that it's that next level of ascension. And I'm going to have a piece out tomorrow, sort of just entirely putting my analytical brain aside. And it's all pure emotion because this start in on Sunday was, I think that ascension for glass now, like that, that almost flag planting moment that says like this guy is now a top tier starting pitcher and it's because those starts where you you have a guy that that doesn't have his best stuff on the day he his command was wildly all over the place like we were debating in the slack like we were like oh my god i hope there's nothing wrong with his arm because like he was missing by miles he was it was crazy he had to get the fastball down to 95 just to get it in the zone. And I was worried, okay, is he bringing it down to 95 to get it in the zone? Or is there, you know, you see the velo drop, the command go away. And you're thinking, you know, I mean, my head immediately goes to like doomsday situation where it's like, all right, well, there goes glass now for a year and a half. Like it, it felt, it was a little scary. <laughs> You've seen that with pitchers, right? Where it's suddenly it's like their, their body's not responding. 
right? It's that it's that, and then pitchers know that pretty quickly is when you're throwing and you're the, the, all the muscle memory is just not working the way it normally does. That's scary because, oh, what's going on? But he was still able to come back in each of those innings that were disastrous. Like, like I, I there, there's going to be in the, in the article tomorrow on Deary's Bay, there's going to be these, these, um, these charts from StatCast, just the pitch charts. It's comical because you have balls that are the very bottom of the frame and the very top of the frame and just everywhere in between. And he was just not harnessing the slider. The new slider was, was all over the place that the curve people weren't swinging at it, but then he would just dial in and some somehow work out of jam after jam and get to five innings, even with a hand cramp, like then in the fifth inning, his, his, his left hand and his glove hand is like cramping up. It was like the most <laughs> like amount of like emotional and physical stress, like a pitcher has had, like in just like a, a normal five inning start, but he got through five innings on the road against the Yankees, giving his team a chance to win. And even in that performance, he, he was barely giving up hard contact. Like DJ LeMay, who got an RBI single, and it was just just to the outfield grass. Like these were not, he was still not getting hit. It was just he couldn't get the ball to go where he wanted it to go. But a performance like that where you suddenly are able to, with your bad stuff, with not your A stuff, not your B stuff, with your C stuff, somehow get enough to get through a game and give your team a chance to win. That's the type of stuff you see from Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer or Garrett Cole, where you see like a guy that's like, this is just not the best, but even at their like C plus game is still one of the most tough to beat pitchers in all of baseball and keep that mental fortitude to not have an inning spiral to, to suddenly be like, okay, base is loaded. This is not good. Oh, I got strike three. Oh, the umpire didn't call strike three. Okay, still good. We're still a lot. We're st- I'm still Tyler Glass now. I can still get Brett Gardner out. He's 80 years old. He's still in the league. I can get him out, and he does. And that's that was that next ascension to me. That was that was a um that, that was Chet Stedman mentality. And that's a reference to who's on worst. If you haven't <laughs> I haven't checked that out, please do. It's a great show uh, from our rookie. <laughs> yes. That, that's we were asking when will Tyler Glass now channel Chet the Rocket Stedman and this was that moment. <laughs> I mean, yes. Other than injury, like that inning where he really couldn't find the zone. The other thing I was worried about was was this a Rick and Keel Y words moment? Like was as Tyler Glass now like just completely lost it? And when he had the hand cramp where he had to take the glove off and he had the whole training staff and Willie Adams out there with him. I'm looking at it. There was really no other way to put it. And he got out of it, but he looked pretty pathetic out there getting his hand was cramping up. You know, this is a world-class athlete. Same thing happened to LeBron James in the NBA finals. This is supposed to be the ace of the Rays pitching staff. And we have to stop the game because his hand is cramping up and, and like he's, he's pounding, non-throwing hand. He's pounding snacks and water. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, fair play to him. He worked out of it, only gave up one run, still struck out seven batters. And which isn't hard to strike out seven Yankees these days. I could get a couple of them, um, but it's it it was like you said, yeah, one of those starts where, no offense to Blake Snell, love you Blake, probably would have given up six runs. Like it was one of those where other pitchers, it they would let snow they would let it snowball. Not to say that Tyler Glass now is better than Blake Snell or Blake Snell is better than Tyler Glass now, but that is kind of 
a difference that I saw in this start. Uh, I hope, hopefully Tyler Glass now doesn't have to go through these types of starts much more often throughout the season. Uh, but it was good to see that he had it in him. Uh, because, well, and it was interesting to see because like the first two starts were were just pure dominance from start to finish. Right. <laughs> they, right. They were perfection. They were stellar. They were, yeah, they were, they were like unbelievably good. And what we did see with those starts, like you mentioned, you know, kind of at the stop was that he got more length than I think anybody out there expects from the Rays. The Rays are the team that are going to be the meme that pulls guys early, but that is the sort of thing. They protect guys from facing the second and third order penalties or the third order penalty, because that is a colossal penalty. Here's the thing with Tyler Glass. Now that is a difference between him and Blake Snell. Blake Snell has a very distinct. If you look at his first time through the order, second time through the order, third time through the order, from first time through the order, it's really, really good. He's one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. Second time through the order, that drops precipitously. The third time through the order is actually fairly similar to the second time. It just It's just another chance at a guy that is now suddenly going from like a, maybe a 2.5 expected whip to like a 5 expected whip. Like it suddenly, or a fifth. It, it, it suddenly is another bite at a very juicy apple. Tyler Glass now, for his career, his first time through the order is dominant as a starter. It's it's stupid how good it is. But then the second and third time are very similar. He walks a little bit more. Obviously, the K rate is pretty much identical. 28.1% second time through, 28.5% third time through. The whip actually walks hits any pitch actually goes down that third time through the order his his fit goes down his x fit is expected uh fielding independent pitching is pretty much right in line now we've with third time through the order stats it's always a little bit of cherry picking because you have to be good enough to get to third time through the order um and usually the, the pitchers that do get enough sample there are really really good pitchers and the pitchers that don't are usually not so that's sort of a bit of a cherry pick stat, but it does sort of showcase a guy who might be given a lot more leeway than some of the other pitchers. Like I think there's rules for Tyler Glass now that maybe Blake Snell didn't have under cash that Ryan Yarbrough doesn't have that other pitchers on this team that only Tyler Glass now has that they trust him to not have such a severe third order penalty that they won't, let him go a little bit more. And we've seen that. We saw him work through a, a tough part of the lineup in Boston. We saw him go a little bit deeper on opening day. Like we've seen the we've seen him work through a hand cramp and still stay in the game. Like I feel like Kevin Cash has a confidence level in Tyler Glass now. And it sort of almost was starting to be evident last year that they would let him go a little bit longer than any of their other starting pitchers. And there might be something to that in the fact that Tyler Glasnow, just the way his stuff works, especially now with that new slider, it's really still hard to hit him. And you might hit him, but that third time through the order is not as juicy a bite of the apple as as other pitchers might be. He would leave out Glasnow. We said it, I think you were on that Instant Reaction podcast, game one of the World Series. We said he left him out there way too long. And it does kind of show that, yeah, there is that trust in Glass now because the, the, the his numbers back it up. He's that good. And I think I, I think Ian 
sounds like something Ian would say in the Slack uh, brought up that, you know, glass now as 120th pitch fourth time through the order is probably better than most, if not all of the Rays relievers for, you know, in, in certain moments uh, where you would take that glass now at that point, because he's that good of a pitcher um, over anyone else. You've got, especially with the injuries, the Rays have dealt with. We'll talk about those injuries in a little bit, uh, but first we're going to take a quick break and we're back on raise your voice. Darby, uh, the bullpen. So we have another injury, uh, yet another injury. We, we've seen Chaz Rowe go down. Uh, Colin McHugh, the next man to go to the injured list. I don't even remember if the last episode came out if Pete Fairbanks had even been on the IL yet. Well, he is now. And uh, the Rays bullpen looking pretty depleted early on in the season. We don't really know how long McHugh's going to be down for. Uh, it sounds like it's a back issue. Uh, but he was the Rays kind of multi-inning guy out of the bullpen, or at least one of them. Um, they brought back up Chris Mazza, who has not had good results. They they bring him back. Uh, he was on the taxi squad, so he'll probably stay on the active roster throughout the rest of the road trip. Uh, first, like, are you comfortable with Chris Mazza on the active roster? And if not, who could be the next man up for, for the Rays? I think at this point, the role that Chris Massa plays is a pretty thankless role. It's as a swingman kind of mop up long reliever guy that that's a, that's a, it's not a very, it's not the high leverage flamethrower coming in to close out a game or get out of a, a tough inning. And it's not the starter who you're expecting to go long and dominate. It's the, Hey, you're up by a little bit. Let's try to get some innings or, Oh, this pitch, the starting pitcher didn't go that long. Let's try to just, survive because we have a lot of games and a sh and no off days and we need to preserve that bullpen and sometimes a loss with three inning bridge is better than a win where you've used all of your your pitchers and then two more losses after that and one loss versus two months it's it's all kind of a big long marathon numbers game and so yeah trevor richards and chris Mazza are probably not getting a lot of jerseys sales at the trop but, but I went ahead and bought the full Jersey for Chris Maza. I skipped Jersey. <laughs> good. That's good. That's, you know, I'm glad you just jumped in. <laughs> I am as comfortable as I can be because uh, honestly, right now there's a, it's, it's, it's too early in the season. I think to panic, there's a lot of big injuries, um, but the Rays do have depth. I think it's interesting to see so far. They, they called up uh, Hunter Strickland who has actually pitched pretty well in the couple performances really well. he's he's yeah. had so that's a that's a guy that's you know coming up for a, a one inning type in pete fair you know kind of a fairbanks role um looking at the guys on the 40 man that could fill this role you're looking at potentially you know better pitchers than maza you know with like a shane mcclanahan or a luis patino but you're kind of breaking them out of, of the more needed extension in length like Honeywell, he came up, pitched really well, could be that kind of guy. But you have to make the choice that that's suddenly his role going forward because that will hurt development this year if you are now in a two to three inning role and you're pitching, you know, maybe twice a week versus you're stretched out to five innings and can be that starter. So it could go that way. And I think if you have a couple more injuries in the bullpen, maybe you're forced to say like, okay, Shane, we're going to need you for, you know, a one, two inning role. 
and then hopefully kind of limit your innings that way and then bring you back in the other way. That's just not been the way the Rays have worked. They, they like to kind of keep guys as starters until they can't. Um, and it's what the Cardinals have done a long time that actually has worked well for them is actually bring up starting pitchers a year early and use them as bullpen guys and then stretch them back out. We saw that with uh, the most recent example was John Gant, uh, who's now a starter this year, was a really effective reliever last year. It's, I can't say it's a right or wrong decision, but right now I'm okay with Chris Mazza and Trevor Richards in their role, but we're probably like one more key injury away from like maybe me wanting to reach for the panic button and seeing like, all right, let's, let's give, let's get, let's let Shane. Okay. I know it's going to delay the eventual starts that we're going to get to see, but all right, let's, let's get him up to the pen. I mean, like right now after Diego Castillo, in terms of high leverage situations, it's probably Ryan Thompson next, which like fair play to Ryan Thompson. He's pitched great, you know, in the big leagues these last, you know, last year and so far this year, not necessarily the guy I want, you know, in a one run game in the ninth or, or in the eighth or whatever situation they use him in. He's pitched well in those situations before. Don't get me he wrong. Has. He uh, has. I, I'd like to see other guys in that spot if they're healthy. And I, Ryan Thompson plays a very valuable role. Uh, the next guy, like maybe Jeffrey Springs, who's pitched pretty well. Uh, what Chris Mazza has done, and I think uh, the, the the one thing he had that uh, is very valuable is an option. He had an option so that he can kind of be this up and down guy. Uh, and you look at that trade, still very early. Uh, Ronaldo could be a great big league catcher, or he might not be. Uh, but the Rays were able to move Ronaldo Hernandez and bring in Jeffrey Springs, who's going to pitch meaningful innings, even when the the bullpen gets healthy. Even when Fairbanks and Anderson and McHugh are back, he will be one of the better left-handed pitchers in this bullpen. He notched on Sunday the first non-Diego Castillo save of 2021. So he's the first guy that's not named Diego Castillo to have a save for the Rays. And that's a big role. Like we saw that last year, them cycle through guys. I was curious to see early on, we don't know who's what roles people fall into. I think we're starting to see Ryan Thompson, Andrew Kittredge kind of emerge as like the third to fourth highest leverage guys. When you're an opener, that's usually like the the third, fourth highest leverage. Ryan Thompson has gotten some kind of fireman role. Like Mm -hmm. these are the best righties. We need you to come in. And we've seen Jeffrey Springs get called on as a high leverage guy getting both lefties and righties out. So that's kind of exciting. And then the other guy who I'm still not sure where his role is, is Cody Reed. Springs has kind of like played so far what I thought Reed's role, Cody Reed's role was going to be. And not to say that Cody Reed can't, you know, assume that role at some point this year, but Springs with the way he's pitched and maybe, you know, I think the Rays really liked him. They still made age, you know, they went out and traded that at the time, their top catching prospect, for him uh yeah I, i'm i'm really i'm really intrigued by that i i like what i've seen out of hunter strickland he's pitched four innings i think he's only given up just the one home run but if they're forced to tap into that pool of guys at the alternate training site one what they could do is they could bring up a non-roster invite they could go out with david hess or or chris ellis a guy they signed to a minor league deal this year if they just want another guy that can eat innings but say they look into that group of guys that we assume to be starting pitchers, would they go with a guy that, A, they think can help the big league team the most, or would they pick the guy that maybe they don't see panning out long-term uh, 
as a starter. And there's no way to speculate on what that decision would be. Like if Brett Honeywell comes back, comes back up and assumes a multi-inning role out of the bullpen, is it because they think he's the best pitcher available or is it because maybe they don't see him as a starter long-term? I don't know. And, and, and hopefully it's something we don't have to worry about. Hopefully these guys can be built up as starters. Once the AAA season gets started pretty quickly here in a, a couple of weeks, I, I think, uh, and then can be used as, as bulk pitchers or starters at the big league level. Um, but yeah, I mean, the bullpen is doing okay. I think right now for given, given the circumstances and to have a guy like Chris Mazza and Trevor Richards, that can eat innings and, you know, be on the, the taxi squad and go up and down between here. And I guess right now it's Port Charlotte. Um, they're valuable guys to have. What two names to keep in mind, they probably aren't going to be called up early because they have various levels of options slash roster part, but two guys that I do think could be pitching high leverage innings for the Rays at some point this year and, and probably will, because they have been mentioned are Dietrich ends from the left side and Stetson alley from the right side. They're both more projects than, than like, you know, Hunter Strickland getting the first call makes a lot of sense. He's a vet. He also probably has an opt out at some point in the season. If he's not called up to try to pursue a job somewhere else. Um, but we know what Strickland can do in the majors. He's a guy that has pitched in high leverage. Those two guys have not a lot of experience, but they've been around a little while. They have some really interesting stuff. And those are two names to definitely think of before the high profile prospect guys. I think those two guys are potentially one, two inning high leverage relief type guys. They could play the uh, next John Curtis, Aaron Loop, Aaron Sledger's type of like, what, who is this guy? And now they're pitching. They're one of the horsemen uh, type of roles. So Dietrich Enns and Stetson Ali, those guys keep, keep them in your, uh, keep them in the back of the mind. Yeah, I mean, if, if like if Hunter Strickland, you know, blows up and he, you know, he's, he's not good over the next, you know, month of the season, if he's a guy that you just move on from, it opens up a forty man spot. I could definitely see Ends or or Ali. Uh, also, like uh, they've got an extra catcher on the forty man right now, Davey Gurion, who they picked up off of waivers. Um, there are a couple expendable guys that if you needed to make forty man room, you definitely could. And yeah, I'm, I, Dietrich Enns is a name that, that's, that's intrigued me for quite some time, really because of how the Rays talk about him and the fact that he's still with the organization. They haven't had to use him yet, or they haven't gotten to use him yet, but he's there and it seems like they really like him. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me if, if he is uh, uh, pitching for the big league team at some point. Um, Darby, let's talk about the Kansas City Royals, who I think we kind of thought going to be fighting if not finishing last in the AL Central. Maybe it was going to be them and the Tigers down there. But they are uh, nine and five to start the season and have a game and a half lead in that division. Uh, we, we talk about teams that the Rays should be beating. Yeah, they probably should have been beating the Rangers at home. They lose three out of four. Uh, the Royals are off to a great start, but this is a series that I think the Rays will want to win. Even though Kaufman was kind of uh, a, a death trap for the Rays a while ago, many years ago, uh, but a series the Rays definitely want to win. The Royals are off to a hot start, however. Uh, Salvador Perez playing great baseball. He's not drawing walks, but he's getting on base. He's hitting for power. Um, he, he's been great. Darby, do you think that the Rays could be running into one of those trap series here where it's a, a nightmare trip to Kansas City? I don't think it's a trap series. I think this. I think the Royals are pretty good. Like I, I, I think I, I think that this is a is a series that. 
I think there's going to be some really good baseball. Um, I, I, the Rangers are no real offense. They are not very good. No, like they really aren't. And uh, that's what made that series disappointing. Cause the Rays didn't play. They, if the Rays played, up to their standards they should win at least two out of four if not three out of four the royals on the other hand are a team that coming into this year i kind of got a lot of i want to say chicago white Sox vibes from them like last year the last year of chicago white Sox, the year away team and the year away team is really dangerous they're kind of where like the also the seattle mariners are who also got off to a nice hot start right now that year away, they're like, they're not there yet, probably, probably, but they have enough stuff that they are probably going to be there next year. And sometimes next year arrives early. And so if you look down the list, you got legitimate all-stars like Salvador Perez and Whit Merrifield, and they're playing like all-stars. You also got some kind of nifty vet, Carlos Santana, Jorge Soler is not gone off to a hot start, but he is a big, very dangerous bat. Um, you got a, a, a longtime uh, Ray killer in Hanser Alberto, former Oriole there, who I know is going to have an amazing series because he always does against the, the, the Rays. And then they got some interesting guys who are kind of like almost like post-hype prospects like Michael A. Taylor, who's had a really great season so far. He's gotten off to a really hot start, former Nationals outfielder, uh, who just never really quite clicked, but has now started to really put together those tools. Um, former Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi, has been really bad. So hopefully he stays bad <laughs> this series. Uh, but they got an interesting lineup. And those pitchers are, uh, they're interesting. I like them. I like their pitchers. I don't love their pitchers, but they are also very perfectly designed to really frustrate Ray's bats. Um, so you had the you had the list of potential starters this series. Yes, it'll be according to roster resource again. Going back to our friends at Fangraphs, um, Danny Duffy on Monday, Brad Keller on Tuesday, and Jacob Junis on Wednesday. Duffy's the name that that kind of stands out and scares me. One of those lefties that you could just see, you know, having ten strikeouts uh, and you know giving up uh, one or two runs against the Rays. Uh, where the bats really can't figure it out. But other than that, I'm not too worried uh, about the series. But Jacob Junis, interesting name. It, it's super funny. So Jacob Junis, bouncing between rotation and bullpen uh, for his whole career. But then this offseason, he added a cutter. He added a brand new pitch, and he's using it a ton. So it's one of those things where you have – Jason Collette always does a really good job of, like, collecting in the spring. Like, everybody's – who has a new pitch or a new pitch shape that they're training out. And a lot of times they just kind of fall by the wayside. People don't really use it. Maybe they use it like 3%. They're just kind of like tinkering with it, but it's not like a weapon for Jacob Junis. This has like been a game changer because he has not been mediocre at all. He's been unbelievably filthy with that cutter. He is using it a ton. It has now become a swing and miss pitch. It has been a pitch that has really kind of elevated him. And yeah, I, I don't, in that lineup of, of pitchers, there's not one of those guys where you're like, oh yeah, the Rays should absolutely tee off on him. Danny Duffy's had a couple of really good starts. His ERA is 0.75, <laughs> so pretty good. Uh, and yeah, he's a 
crafty left-handed pitcher that doesn't throw very fast. That's every, that is the worst. That is like a nightmare. I feel like, I feel like Jamie Moyer would have had like eight you know, like perfect games <laughs> against the modern Rays. He might, he might actually be able to come out of retirement right now and get a yeah, perfect game, at least years. into the sixth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is going to be a pretty good series. Uh, the Royals bullpen is a mixed bag. Um, Stomont has a ton of great stuff. I really like Barlow. The Royals are not the, like a great team. They've gotten off to a really hot start. They're not a great team, but they are not a bad team. This is not a tanking team. This is not a team that's not trying to win. They are probably not a playoff team yet. I think they're going to start to fade because I do think depth is a bit of an issue, but they do have some really interesting prospects that could be coming up. They already have Kyle Isbell who's been up there and has, you know, he's, he's one of those uh, rookies who's making the jump from double a after a year at the alternate site. And we don't know what kind of development was there. I'm not worried about this series, but I do think it's going to be good baseball and the Rays could absolutely lose this series. I don't think that would be a black mark though. Like this is, this is, I am actually kind of excited about this series because I do think the Royals are playing some fun baseball and I think the Rays will have to come in uh, playing their best. Otherwise I do think the Royals could absolutely smoke them in Kaufman, but I do think the Rays are going to come in there and hopefully be pretty focused after this Yankee sweep to give the Royals like their A game because the Royals deserve their A game right now. If you don't, if you don't come with that, I think the Royals are really making people pay. The other thing, uh, Monday night, uh, tomorrow, I guess this will be the day this is released. Uh, Josh Fleming starting in Kansas city. And he said, he's got 40 friends and family coming to the game, which is really cool. I think I tweeted this or I mentioned it somewhere, but I've definitely talked about it on the podcast. Guys like Ryan Thompson, who, Made their debut last year. Obviously, plenty of other guys, but Ryan Thompson was the was the story where his dad had to meet him in the parking lot afterwards to talk about you know his his first big league outing. Uh, Josh Fleming finally gets to have his friends and family watch him pitch in the big leagues in his home state of Missouri. They'll get to go there, enjoy some great Kansas City barbecue, best in the country, uh, and uh, hopefully watch him pitch a really good game against the Royals. Uh, he did go to college in St. Louis, so I don't know if his family's Cardinals fans or Royals fans out there in Missouri. Um, but tomorrow night they'll be Rays fans and really cool for him. I think it's been really cool to see, uh, parents and family and friends back in the stands for big league debuts. It's always a great moment on TV, uh, and something we missed out on last year. So Josh Fleming, not only did he have a really great first start, I think he could do really well against the Royals lineup on Monday night. After that, it'll be Rich Hill and Michael Walker. So I'm hoping maybe, uh, Rays win a low-scoring game because Danny Duffy's definitely going to shove against us. Uh, Fleming gets us out of it and then maybe split the hill and Waka starts. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, yeah, it's one of those where they could go and lose two out of three and it wouldn't be the end of the world. Definitely not, especially when we're beating up on the Yankees as much as we are. So, yeah, it should, should be a fun series. And back to, we, we saw it with the Rangers, uh, but back to playing like other teams from other parts of the country like getting a chance to play the Royals, uh, play other teams in the AL Central and in these other divisions, uh, it's really fun. And it's uh, something I missed from the, the short season last year. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. And then uh, Darby and I are going to talk about some glaring stats that have caught our eye early on in the season. 
And we're back on Raise Your Voice. Darby and I are going to raise our voices here and talk about um, some stats that have caught our eye early on in the season. We are, I think, at least far enough into the season where we can look at some stats and not draw any conclusions, but to start to to make some points about them and, and how this Rays team is shaping up. Uh, we'll talk about a couple positive stats and a couple negative stats. And, and Darby, I'll let you go first. Should we start with the good news or the bad news? Let's start with good. Let's right, start, let's with, start the good. with good. We'll finish I, in a terrible I, mood. Well, well, because my bad stat also has a spoonful of sugar to it. So I'll do my bad stat second because it does end on a slightly positive note. Um, but my good stat is about w- easily one of my favorite rays, um, and that's Yandi Diaz. Uh, the greek demigod of walks maybe the the he he is kevin euclid's disciple the the guy that you don't expect to be batting at the very top of the lineup the guy that doesn't look like the top the leadoff hitter but is absolutely amazing at it uh because he draws so many dang walks and gets on base so much that's yandy diaz but the thing that really the stat that really jumped out with yandy diaz and it's not his launch angle. It's not the amount of grounders that this behemoth man gets. It's the fact that he will not swing outside of the zone. He will just avoid swinging outside of the zone, like amazing levels. So he has a 16.7% O swing percentage. So he almost never will swing outside of the zone. That's third best in all of baseball. He's right neck and neck with Tommy Pham. They've actually been trading off with O-swing percentage back and forth for that second spot. The the true Greek god of O-swing percentage is Max Muncy, uh, who's had a just a staggeringly low 13.4%. So very frustrating batter, Yandi Diaz, because when you throw him pitches outside of the zone, he will just spit on them every time. And then you have to come into the zone. Or you don't, like most pitchers have done, and Yandi Diaz will just take first base. He got another walk today. It's it's a day that ends in a Y, so Yandi Diaz is not swinging out of the zone and letting breaking balls fall into the dirt and taking first base. He loves drawing walks so much, he will stare you down, just like he did Framber Valdez. I think it was Framber Valdez in the ALCS uh, last October. Because one of my positive stats, I, I've got another one now because – Darby brought up a Yandi stat is uh, his walk to strikeout ratio, which right now is good for eighth in baseball. He draws one and a half walks for every strikeout last year. Uh, well, so it's eighth in baseball, third in the American league last year, his walk to strikeout ratio was 1.35, which was good for third in baseball with a minimum of a hundred plate appearances. Cause he didn't play the full season. He was only, he was second in the American league behind Tommy Lestella. He is, uh, one of the best players in baseball drawing walks. And like Darby said, not swinging at balls outside of the strike zone. I was hoping, and maybe there's still hope. He had a big hit today that Yandi and Yoshi could platoon in the leadoff spot. Um, I think they're both at their peak, good enough to be in the lineup every day, but you know, uh, lead off Yandi against lefties and Yoshi against righties still hasn't worked out for Yoshi. Maybe he bought himself a little bit more time with the big go ahead hit against the Yankees today against Garrett Cole today. Um, but still hasn't worked out quite uh, well for, for, for Yoshi yet. Uh, my other uh, positive glaring stat is Hunter Strickland, who has thrown four innings this year for the Rays. 
uh, and has a 171 XFIP. You know, it's only four innings. Again, we're not drawing conclusions, but these are the numbers that are sticking out to us. And this one sticks out to me. He's been really solid. And I think, especially with McHugh going down, there's more innings for Strickland to be had and maybe some higher leverage innings. Uh, he's only he's appeared in three games, pitched four innings, and only given up one hit, which was a home run. He's been good. He's proven a bit. He's, he's a proven big league pitcher. And it looks like he might still have a little bit left in the tank. So Hunter Strickland, uh, a shout out to Hunter Strickland. Good stuff so far. All right, Darby, now we got to find some negative stuff to talk about. Who are we going to rag on today? Uh, this is going to be this is going to be a full team effort. This is going to be a full okay. team effort, and it's going to be I, something I think a lot of people. Uh, sometimes either stats where you're like, Hey, this seems like that. Cause I feel like this is the problem. And then the stat says, actually, no, they're doing fine. Uh, well, if you thought the rays were not getting a lot of hits with runners in scoring position, you'd be right. They have <laughs> the fifth worst average, uh, in all of baseball or sixth worst average. I should say the Mets, um, of course, uh, cause Jacob Durham had three starts. So they had to like drop below that cause they, have an allergy to scoring runs for Jacob DeGrom. Uh, the Rays have a batting average of 215 with runners in scoring position. That is uh, sixth worst in all of baseball. The Chicago Cubs are number one at a, oh boy, 128 batting average with runners in scoring position. They stink. Uh, yikes. <laughs> a, it's rough. If you're watching Sunday Night Baseball, it was not a, pleasant game for the north siders um so yeah so the rays have not been great at converting runners and scoring position opportunities however i did say there was a spoonful of sugar with mine they also have the fifth most plate appearances with runners and scoring position they are uh they have 157 plate appearances that is just behind the Miami Marlins at 161. The Los Angeles Dodgers lead the pack in all of baseball at 202. Oh boy, the Dodgers are just good at everything. Um, but the 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 good news here, though, while they are the sixth worst in batting average with with, with runners in scoring position, they are fifth in all of baseball at actually having those plate appearances with runners in scoring position. So they are getting people into scoring position, which is really good which is a sign that eventually, eventually some balls will find the hole. Some balls will find some grass. You'll actually get a ball in the gap. You'll actually get a ball over the state, the wall. These innings can go lopsided very quickly. If you just get that one extra hit that has been lacking. Uh, and we saw it lacking the whole Ranger series. So the offense has not been great. However, it's super close. It's like right there. And, very, very small, a small inning change here and there. And you could suddenly see the Rays offense put up five, six, seven runs. Just be all the opportunities they've been giving. The the regression monster comes for all of us. But I think in this case, it's the positive regression monster underneath the Rays bed. And you hope uh, that it comes soon and they can start piling it on some teams because uh, it, in terms of the standings, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I always like to see on the my MLB app on the run differential. I like to see that number in the green. Uh, it's an indicator of of good or and or bad baseball teams. And I think now even today the Rays still might have the lowest run differential in the American League East. So 
let's hope it happens. I like I like how you threw that uh that that spoonful of sugar in there. Well, I I hope the spoonful of sugar helps the the runs come in. That was a terrible Mary Poppins joke. <laughs> uh, we're we're gonna move on. Um, mine is Willie Adamas. Uh, two twelve on base percentage, thirty four point six percent K rate, which somehow is not as bad as his twenty twenty was, uh, which was thirty six point one. Uh, but he's drawing a lot less walks. Only two walks so far this year in 52 plate appearances. Again, we're not drawing conclusions. We're just making statements. Uh, that WRC plus at 61. And the thing about that is now is because I think the defense is great. I think Willie has progressed and developed so well as a defensive shortstop. He's made some strides as a hitter too, but this is, a, this is starting to become a trend. And they're happens to be multiple middle infielders in this race system that do not strike out a lot. There's one guy that like is barely ever going to strike out, or at least to show no evidence that he is a guy that strikes out often in his minor league career. Uh, that's Wander Franco, obviously. Uh, and the, I, I don't want to say the, the clock is ticking on Willie because I think we've yet to see Wander play in, in a competitive baseball game since 2019. The same as goes for Vidal Brujan or Taylor Walls. But if at some point in the season this continues to be an issue, there might be a cut into Willie's playing time. Or there might be a look, there might be a decision that needs to be made in terms of who do you want the shortstop to be going into another pennant run. If Wander Franco's killing it at the double-A AA or triple-A level, I mean, obviously he's the guy you want, but we've heard a lot of great things about Taylor Walls. I don't think Vidal Brujan's going to be the shortstop of this team anytime soon, but he could come up and eat innings from a number of different guys on the big league club. Willie Thomas is just not, just not looking great. Negative um, 0.1 wins above replacement. Uh, he does have a couple home runs, but the on-base percentage at 212 is... Uh, pretty bad right now, and you've seen him kind of slip further down the lineup. Um, so, Willie, uh, let's just uh, let's get it together. I really hate ending this on terrible news, but Wait, hey, the Rays no, swept no, the Yankees. But the Rays swept the Yankees. In this series, we also got some great catcher play. Like that's, I think we have to make sure we mention because that's the one thing that yeah. we have been hating on for like years right. as Rays fans. We have suffered and toiled. In the swamp of sadness, trying to get any kind of offense out of the catching position. Now, Mike Zunino is actually had a pretty good year at the plate. Uh, he's actually barely, he doesn't make a lot of contact, but when he does make contact, he has been barreling the ball this year. Uh, and we already know 94 WRC plus. Yeah. And he, we also know that he's fantastic behind the plate. Like he's a great blocker. He's a great framer. He is a really spectacular catcher. And the uh, only reason he's also, making millions of dollars right now. <laughs> it's and, and those great facial expressions. He's, he's <laughs> now, he also gave us an all time great gift right now. Um, but the other, the newest raised catcher who has been, kind of getting in like a 70-30 timeshare that might be starting to move to a 60-40 timeshare. and Maybe even 50-50. We'll see. Maybe even 60-40 in his favor? Francisco Mejia. Yeah, Francisco Mejia, one of the pieces, the first piece of the uh, very large Blake Snell trade to be with the Rays Big League Club. He's been incredibly impressive to start his Rays career. He looks at the plate like a big league hitter. Looks like someone that's very comfortable in his role 
as a catcher. He knows he's not one of the best hitters on the team. We've seen him uh, drop bunts against the shift to get on base, which is awesome. Um, if they're going to shift you, find different ways to get on base. He's got a 370 on base percentage, a 156 WRC plus, which believe it or not, Darby leads the team, uh, including a, a home run against the Yankees. So he's been he's been really solid, and I defensively, I guess you know it. I I haven't seen enough to have any thoughts on him really defensively. Zinino is definitely still the better defensive option, but if Mejia can hit you know, even half as good as he is now, like almost literally half as good as he's hitting now, uh, then he's going to gonna get uh, innings with the Rays, meaningful innings with the Rays, meaningful at-bats. And in terms of upgrading a team that made the World Series last year, and we could talk about where they were downgrades, but in terms of a second catcher, this so far has been a huge upgrade over the Michael Perez, Kevin Smith, uh, you know, Rene Rivera catchers. Eras. Right, yeah. the, the 2019 <laughs> Rene Rivera era, the uh, as fun as Jose Lobaton was, you know, there's this is a this is an interesting second catcher because when he is playing well, right now, a lot of people are excited to see him play and want him to see him play more. Mike Zunino has not been bad as a starter, but like it's very rare to be like, yes, let's see the second catcher. Woo, the second catcher is into the lineup. Uh, but Francisco Mejia's is 25 years old and he was once a top 50 prospect in the game and was one of the most exciting catching prospects in all of baseball. Very like a couple of years ago, like this was not not like, Oh, forever ago. He is a post height prospect, but he is still 25 catchers tend to be the slowest to develop of all positions in, in the prospect world, his hit tool and his, his bat speed and hand speed has been really impressive. He has one strikeout on the season. He has commanded the zone. He has gotten to ball. Like he has gotten a lot of balls in play, whether they've been hits or outs, that's fine. But he has not been an easy out at the plate as a catcher. And he's starting to get a little bit of power on the the Yankee series. He got that home run, but he also got a nice uh, kind of tack on run with a double down the line, an RBI double down the line. so he's, he's hit well, he's shown really good plate presence. He's shown really quick hands. And he also in the Ranger series got to show off the uh, 80 grade arm that he has. He has a absolute howitzer cannon attached to his arm and it is really impressive. So all he's had to do in his career, he's actually been a fairly solid hitter in the major leagues. The defense has always been the question. If his defense is just league average with that bat, with that uh, ability, if that bat even improves a little bit too, even if it doesn't, it's still fine at career average. But if it improves a little bit with that great hand speed, this is a potentially really good catcher that the Rays were able to get. And right now, Zunino and Mejia is one of the best catching tandems the Rays have ever had, at least in terms of first and second. Now, the key is we want to see one of these guys really kind of at least take off. But if both are going to be really solid to good, hey, I'll take that. Yeah, and if they can split time and, you know, keep their legs fresh and stay healthy, that's a that's a win. That's a big-time win because after that, in terms of major league-ready catching depth, uh, there's not much. You've got Davey Gruen. I, I, 
I don't even know what the deal with Kevin Smith is. Is he still like with the organization? He was on the taxi squad. He was with the taxi squad this this week. Yeah. Shows how much I pay attention. Um, But yeah. (laughs) uh, Taxi squad minutes. (laughs) Who's on it? I meant to mention Mejia. So I'm I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, And and that's how we're going to end the show. On a very positive note. It's been really fun watching Mejia play. He looks really comfortable at the plate in a raised uniform. Um, what well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Uh, thank you to Darby for hopping on this week. And as always, thank you to everyone for listening. If you like what we do, uh, following our podcast feed or wherever you get your podcasts is the best way to do uh, to spread what we do to more and more race fans. And if your platform allows it, rating and reviewing is another great way to spread our podcast network as always make sure to head on over to draysbay.com to check out all of the great rays coverage check out all of our other shows raise your voice who's on worse the d rays bay podcast special you can even go back and listen to our instant reactions from last year's postseason so i'll talk to you guys next week this was raise your voice